Hello, Sewing Bees. This is Sua Very Pruitt from Suki Sews. And before we get started, I wanted to let you know that you can design and win your very own Bernina Dream Studio. Just check out BerninaSweepstakes.com. When I designed mine, I just had to have space for all my machines, the ones I already owned, and the ones I wanted to add to my studio. See it for yourself and get in today to Bernina Dream Studio $100,000 giveaway at BerninaSweepstakes.com. Dream it, design it, win it. Welcome to a special episode of So-and-So brought to you by Bernina, made to create. I'm Meg Goodman, and you're about to join us for an exclusive and behind-the-scenes experience at QuiltCon 2023 in Atlanta. We're in Atlanta, Georgia, where they welcome more than 1 million international visitors each year, and with 71 countries having representation here through a consulate or trade office, there's a diversity that is reflected even in this event. From arts and culture to music and cuisine, the city is full of opportunities for everyone. QuiltCon is an example of those opportunities. This year's QuiltCon is 2023's largest sewing and quilting kickoff with more than 600 quilts on display. People from all 50 states are here and visitors from 19 countries. There are 195 lectures and more than $20,000 in prize money to be awarded. The hospitality and inclusion is notable, and we're ready to take you on an exclusive adventure talking to show organizers, featured artists, notable black sewists, activists, vendors, and attendees, with a few surprises thrown in as well. The hosting organization is called the Modern Quilt Guild, and it's in this very name that we begin to set the tenor of this event. When asked to define modern quilting, we got a variety of answers. Alita Crawley, president of the Modern Quilt Guild, shares her perspective. So when I joined it, I thought of it as the Unguild Guild, because one of the things that, that people were finding in guilds is that if you didn't have a certain aesthetic, that your gills, your quilts or your work was considered less than or just that's not quilting. And one of the things that I loved about um, modern quilting is that there's lots of things that could make your your quilt modern, but you don't have to have all of those elements. And so, and, and one of the things I like, I was having dinner last night with Alyssa, who is one of the founders, and, and she said, you know, we never defined that all of these things have to be in there and the quilt can't have borders and things like that. But it was this openness and this exploration, but also a strong recognition of quilting as artistry. Karen Cooper, executive director of the Modern Quilt Guild, contributes her point of view. There are two, two ways to think about the Modern Quilt Guild. Um, when it was founded, it was about modern style quilts, mid-century modern, use of bold colors, um, a lot of asymmetrical design, negative space. You know, think of mid-century modern into a quilt and design. When I first learned about the Modern Quilt Guild, long before I was on staff, to me it was a modern way of thinking to just be inclusive and to just be friendly and to appreciate all kinds of art and quilts and not nitpick people's skill level or not nitpick their style, but just to be accepting of all styles. So I, I think of it both ways. You're gonna see modern style quilts in our show, but I hope what you feel when you see our people and meet our members is that it's just an inclusive, friendly, modern way of thinking. <laughs> 
is, it came about, I believe, in 2009, and then they had their very first quilt show in 2013. And so even though the style of modern quilting is nothing new, the movement kind of coalesced when a couple of really, you know, courageous women got together and said, let's formalize this. Let's make a guild to capture this movement and this excitement of this genre of quilting, which is basically a little bit traditional, a little bit art, kind of um, blending, you know, a lot of abstract, uh, really cool um, mid-century modern kind of style. When I went to that first quilt con, I never knew that these types of quilts existed, and here was a whole show of them. Krista Watson, a Bernina ambassador, certainly has a viewpoint, as does Latifa Safir, last year's keynote speaker at QuiltCon. Um, the Modern Quilt Guild does a pretty good job of defining some things that a lot of people associate with it. So I consider modern quilting, I, I call it the two A's. There's attitude and there's aesthetic. So part of the attitude of the modern quilter is that um, it's, it's pretty much just just do it. So early on, people interpreted that to mean that we didn't care about workmanship. But it's not that. It's that we don't let not knowing how to do, do a stopping us from diving into it. And that's really, that was a lot of the energy, especially in the early years. Um, and there's definitely aesthetic. So you have different elements that you'll think about, like negative space. Um, certain color schemes are considered very modern. Um, so there's a number of things. I am one of those kind of people. I don't always even, even though I'm a co-founder of the Guild, consider myself a modern quilter. I consider myself a quilter and I quilt what brings me joy. And that's what I really encourage people to do. But it's, there is something that's really new and fresh still about coming to a quilt con and seeing the quilts that are accepted as a modern quilt. So the Guild is actually a really great resource for learning about the specifics of that aesthetic. Even attendees representing Johannesburg, the Netherlands, and France have a viewpoint. Um, white spaces are, you know, um, and different lines. Um, so, and uh, the color, mostly plain fabrics. So that's what I think is modern for me. I like taking the traditional quilts and changing them into something more modern. Modern is big blocks, uh, solid fabric, and negative space, and quilts, straight lines, whatever you want. Yeah, I think I also like the fact that you're taking a traditional and changing it um, and making it your own. Because I think that's a lot to me of what modern is. It's not follow. It's maybe starting with a traditional idea, but then moving on and altering, distorting. Truly, the differing definitions added a color perspective to this event and provide great points of conversation. So, what does it take to put on an event of this size? Well, we asked Elizabeth Daxon, director of events for Modern Quilt Guild, to explain and to share a hidden secret about the show. The ability to spin a number of plates at the same time, I've said to my staff a few times that it's a lot like trying to cook an intricate French recipe that you've never made before, but without a Julia Child standing by and your children nagging and pulling on you on every corner of your person. 
I think the best hidden secret at QuiltCon is that all of the MQG shop purchases go to benefit the organization, the Modern Quilt Guild, the 501c3 organization. And all of the ticket sales for our giveaway quilt that we always have, a different one every year, that actually goes to the scholarship that we provide to MQG members in a limited basis to help them attend QuiltCon. Karen Cooper shared even more behind-the-scenes information with us. What does it take to put on a show like this? How many people are involved? Kind of take us through the things that, that make this all happen. QuiltCon is a year-round activity on our staff. Um, it takes up probably about three-quarters of our budget to, to put on. It's also, But that's also, you know, where about three-quarters of our income comes from, so it works out. But our... Um, we have four full-time staff and three part-time staff that work for the MQG year-round. At least four of those do nothing but QuiltCon. So year-round, um, and at any given time, we're working on about three different years' worth of QuiltCon between contracting future spaces. Um, right now, we're reviewing speaker applications for 2024, and we're looking at venue, venue bids for 2026 and 2028. So there's just a lot of year-round, far-out planning. Um, and then we're also just always looking at booking our special exhibits. But when we're on site, we have a crew of 13, which is my seven staff members and six additional helpers. Um, there people have been with us for a while. Um, we have a couple staff members' husbands that join us year-round. That's a brave. My college roommate comes. Um, and joins us for a week. She takes a, a week off of her job and comes and does this for us. And then we also have about 300 volunteers that do anything from one four-hour shift to a, a total of 20 hours volunteering for us. So it's a massive volunteer effort. Um, the MQG is also fortunate that as a craft organization, we our members all have real jobs and real skills. So we have, you know, members who are lawyers for us and who have, you know, answered contract questions for us. And we have members who are accountants for us and make sure we get our tax documents done. So we are just very fortunate. We have people who have helped us with marketing. So it's hard to, to take QuiltCon down into one little group of things. Um, it is truly an organization-led event. And I've, I've worked events in three different industries, and I have never seen one where people are this passionate, where they literally take a vacation every year to come to an event, spend their own money, and come and be together and meet people. We actually had someone, um, this, this is a, it's, a, it's a touching, it's a, it's a tearjerker, but we had a, a lady contact us about a week ago. Her and her friend were registered for this quilt con. They've come to every quilt con. Um, her friend had to go into hospice and we didn't think was gonna be able to come, so she had asked for us to be able to send her some things, and she wanted specifically the magazine, and so we were able to call our magazine editor to get the magazine sent, and it turned out that the magazine editor was a childhood friend of this woman's friend, daughter. And so um, we got her the magazine, we heard from her friends, um, she did pass on the first day of QuiltCon, so. But it was just, it was neat to know that that was that important to her that she wanted to be part of it, and we could do one little thing to make her happy. The connection is special. Yes, very much so. While this podcast has shared many stories of the kindness and caring of this community, Karen shared one that had a little different twist. There was a lot of uproar in the last 12 to 15 months about the Modern Quilt Guild coming to Atlanta. Our members are very passionate about social causes, 
So we had a lot of people concerned about bringing our event and spending their money in an, or, in an area where there were perhaps some restrictive political laws, there was perhaps some efforts to restrict voter access and things like that that upset a lot of our members. And one thing that really struck me is we, were, we tried to be very honest with our members. We cannot cancel an event for just a political reason. You know, we're not big enough. We would have bankrupted the organization to cancel QuiltCon for a political for a political related reason. But when we explained that to our members and we just talked to our members honestly and told them, you know, a little transparency, a little behind the scenes about how much money we have in contracts and how much money we, you know, we need to run our organization. And then we turned it around and talked about what we, how, what kind of impact we could have on quilting and on the local community. Our members responded so positively. And I think that's part of the reason we have a big crowd this year is because we talked about how we can make a positive statement related to things that maybe we're not too happy about. This community, as in any family, has challenges to overcome and opportunities to shine. These opportunities were notably apparent in the words and reactions of the Black Sewists who were prominent in this event. As a side note, there's a lot more to the stories we heard from these Black Sewists, so we'll share a little here, but look for an upcoming episode dedicated to telling so much more. Sean Kimber, mathematician, college dean, and quilter, known for expressing her political activism in her quilts, was this year's keynote speaker. Sean's work can be found in the Smithsonian, Michigan State University, and the Renwick Gallery. She shared her impression of this event and why it's important to be here. Um, well, it was a lot of people, so it was very warm in the room, but a lot of energy, a lot of positivity, which I really enjoy. You call yourself quirky, artsy, crafty, mathy chick. Mm-hmm. What's the quirky? Uh, it's part of the mathy, probably, but um, I'm different. I, I don't fulfill expectations in pretty much anything that I do in my life in, the, in terms of fulfilling stereotypical expectations. I'm different. Sean, our, our last question, why is being at QuiltCon important to you? Ooh, that's actually a more complicated question than you think it is. <laughs> but um, it is important to me to be at this QuiltCon doing this today because it represents a huge evolution of the organization of quilting on the whole and uh, the potential for the future. Latifa Safir shared the gist of her last year's keynote and how she's making a difference. I talked about a number of things. I told the story of my quilt journey and how we came to found, be a co-founder of the Modern Quilt Guild. Um, but I just talked about the meaning of quilts in my life. Um, but I wrapped up the lecture talking about the responsibility of all quilters in the room and as part of the organization uh, to have respo- the responsibility of having an environment that is welcoming to everyone. Um, so it was just it was just a message about quilting in my life and um, how we need to create and foster environments in our community. So your motto is sprinkling the world with beauty one stitch at a time. Tell us about that. So that actually encompasses a couple of things. I think that one of the main, people quilt for different reasons, but one of the main things that a lot of quilters do is we like to create objects, useful objects of beauty that we share with our family and our friends and those that we love. 
The flip side of that, the one stitch at a time is, I have another model that nothing is difficult if we take it one stitch at a time. So a lot of the techniques that I teach and the tools that I develop are to help people to conquer those techniques, but it's, I, I'll take beginners who first sat in the machine because it literally is one stitch at a time. And it's kind of the way that I approach life in general. The Modern Quilt Guild was joined by two additional organizations leading the way for black stitchers. The head of each sat with us to talk about their organizations and their work. Alita Crawley, president of the Modern Quilt Guild, shared her vision for her term and one of the hardest things to monitor at a show. The thing that I'm going to focus on is education, and it's leadership education. And that comes from, um, we did a lot of work on DEI, but we know that there's a lot, and I shouldn't say DEI, we call the Diversity Committee IDEA for Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Access. And so within IDEA, there were things that, that we had submitted to the board, but other board members were working on things like governance. And, and we were getting requests from the guild leaders saying, hey, we need um, information on programming. And we know that part of the things that produces strong and healthy guilds is having succession planning. How do you produce leaders within your guild? Having programming for guild leaders, secretary, treasurer, president. Um, but also having some things that they might need, um, idea-related uh, topics, and conflict resolution. Because again, humans. Uh, and so my what I see for the next year at least will be a heavy focus on how do we support those guild leaders best. And so that, that is what my, my personal charge is. And so we're going to see how we can help them make MQG even better. I like that. Don't touch the quilt. And and the minute you say don't touch them, they want to get close and they want to feel it. And that's interesting because if you were in a museum, they would never touch a, a painting hanging on the wall. And, and again, that's again a thing of looking at that quilt as a piece of art. When it's hung like that, if it's in somebody's home, completely different functionality and access. But when it's hanging on the wall, it's artwork. I am happy for the people who came. I'm happy for the vendors who seem to be having a very successful um, QuiltCon. I am most happy for the staff because the, a small but mighty staff of seven pulls off this miracle every year. Everything you see here and everybody who comes to me and says thank you, I say go find a person in a purple shirt because they did the heavy lifting. I have to be here, but I'm, I'm kind of just here, just to support them. And it's the tenor of this show, the community and the safety, that is paramount to Lisa Wolfork of Black Women's Stitch. I would never sew again with any person who did not believe that my children's lives had value. It is not safe for me to do so. And since making that decision, and that's when I decided to create Black Women's Stitch. That's why I called it Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. I wanted to put it right out there that this is Blackness, and it's Blackness in a particular way, that we are Black affirming, Black forward, Black liberation, social justice, equity, all of that. But it's not a diversity and inclusion project. It's not about let us help them see us. See us, see us, include us, include us. I don't want that. 
I don't want to be included. I don't want to be seen. I see myself and we see each other. And we have that capacity and always have. Lisa also shared her unique travel adventure in coming to this year's QuiltCon. You did a special project coming here, sewing on the train. Tell us about that. Listen, the Amtrak is wonderful. We, uh, my, uh, Naomi and I, took the Amtrak Crescent south which is the 19, going from Washington, D.C. She got on in D.C. I got on in Charlottesville, Virginia. And then 12 hours later, we were here. And I was able to take my Burnett 33, which is my favorite travel machine. I got it onto the train. We set it up on that little table. And I actually managed to finish a little wall hanging that I had been sitting on for actual years and been dragging it around in the travel bag. And I was like, oh, wait. This is perfect timing. So I absolutely finished sewing that wall hanging on the train. So it was a lot of fun. And I have actually, I've sewn in airports. I take my, I have, I take my little Burnett 33. We've gone to California. We've gone to Texas. We've gone to um, obviously here on the East Coast. So that Burnett has been in three time zones with me. Um, so I love that little Burnett 33. Then it was Peggy Martin's turn to share with us the story of the Brown Sugar Stitchers. Will you tell us about the founding of this group? How did it come to be? Um, Three or four ladies plus the librarian at the Wesley Chapel Library met, decided they wanted to create some kind of crafting class or, or group for the community. And then from that, it evolved to where we are today. Michelle Willis, um, Nancy Franklin, the late Jocelyn Carter, maybe one other lady, but they endorsed um, Wells, who was a librarian. They had the vision and they created this um, organization that we now have. And the name of the organization? Well, Peggy explains to us how that came to be. Actually, it's not because of our skin tone. It's really because the library where we meet, there was a gentleman there, his last name was Brown. So that's where the brown comes from, and then I guess they played around with it, and it ended up brown sugar stitchers. Sound like a good name. Okay, that's it. A surprise at this year's show is the quilt created by Uzoma Samuel from Nigeria. This first-time quilter absolutely blew people away when they experienced his amazing art, which is reminiscent of the work of artist Bisa Butler, who was our guest on the first episode of this podcast. Um, I think uh, it's the most amazing moment of my career as a fabric artist. This is one of the first quilts that you've put together. Talk about your inspiration. Why do you quilt? Thank you. Um, This is much of an endowment from my family or my mother as a seamstress. It's a a thing from childhood I picked up, even if I had attended art school. But coming back from the school and then back home, everyone is uh, dealing with fashion, fabrics at home, my sisters and all that. So it inspired me, motivated me to follow them up. And then I'm converting from using painting, using paint to do my art. Then I started seeing fabrics as paint. So that was my inspiration, first of all. 
and I grew over the years, practicing, experimenting, and finally coming into my first quilt, where I have actually arrived to master what I have been practicing now. He also shared how all of this came about for him. Yeah, the, the working on this one, first of all, as a, a painter and a photographer, which I was trained of. Uh, so most of my energy lies in Pretoria, composing images of people, portraitures. And this is much of a neighborhood children, which I like working on something from my environment. And um, it, it's, 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 the processes entails drawing, putting the fabrics together, and um, finally um, collaborating with my colleague in the US here, who finally helped to cement everything with the machine quilting. And in a community of friends, it was his new friend, Sarah Trail, found through Facebook, who had a profound effect on Uzoma creating his quilt and coming to QuiltCon. So you received this quilt. You've got a connection to Sam. How did that come about? Facebook, he reached out wanting to learn how to sew. And so his initial question was, do you ever do anything international? You know, can you, we see you teach kids for free. Could you teach me? And I'm like, yeah, where are you? And then once he said Nigeria, I'm like, let's FaceTime or Facebook video time. Is, you know, you call it like we video called. And he's just like, you know, I want to learn. You know, I don't have much resources, but, you know, what can you teach me over, over Zoom? And I'm like, well, you know, I saw his work that he did on Canvas. And I'm like, you're you're pretty top 10 in terms of talent. I don't know, but he wanted to learn technique. And so I'm like, well, if you can make a quilt top, I can get the quilt top finished in America, and then we can figure out next steps on how we can you know, get you connected with some real mentors in the industry to learn how to long arm, learn how to fuse, learn how to face your quilts, and really turn them into the three-layer dimension pieces of art that are a quilt instead of just mounted canvases. So I got the quilts from fresh from a DHL package from Nigeria, and it was an amazing quilt top made on a pretty lightweight gauze that a normal quilt foundation wouldn't have been put on. Um, it's, you know, the material he had available to him. So after looking at the layers, seeing how much, you know, um, various pieces there are, I knew it was going to be a job for a very custom, freehand, talented machine long armor. Um, so after reaching out to a few people in our network, a woman named Marion agreed to doing it, a woman in SAC, a SACO member from Sacramento, where she did it not on a long arm, but on a mid arm, using nothing but orifil thread. Um, and she really did the, the time to, you know, spend the details on the faces, like changing a lot of thread colors. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a pretty complex piece and more than just the idea of enhancing the work, it's about securing every piece so nothing ever falls off because the glue quality, he didn't get to use interfacing and things that a typical, you know, art quilter would have used. He really used like Joanne's quality glue and, and nothing else. So it was definitely a, a, a challenge, but um, between the different type of material, he used synthetic, he used wax prints, he used cottons, he used um, translucent, um, like tool, he used absolutely 15 different types of material, even sequined type of material. Um, but yeah, it depicts a photo of um, like eight kids braiding this young girl's hair. And the most, I think, beautiful part is he took the photo. One of our favorite things to do at these events is to catch up in person with people who have been guests on this podcast. 
At QuiltCon, we ran into Becky Glasby, Director of Education at the National Quilt Museum, and Marissa Marquez from Brewer. Becky, it's been almost a year since we visited with you uh, during Quilt Week in Paducah. What is new since then at the National Quilt Museum? Well, of course, the we've got new exhibits that are up because we do switch out our exhibits pretty regularly. Um, we're looking forward to our spring selection. Um, we've got some fantastic pieces. Velda Newman, we're going to have Marilyn Badger coming up. Um, Justin Young is going to be installed once we get back from QuiltCon, so that keeps us pretty busy. Uh, we've refreshed the galleries a little bit, some paint and shuffling walls and exhibit space as well. Um, we've got exhibit of Kay Facet Quilt. Um, which a lot of people know are familiar with his fabrics to go through. So those are really fun. Um, I am still working. We're gearing up for block of the month. Um, we've, we're mixing it up this year. So we're not starting until May. It'll be a shorter round. Um, and I'll give you kind of a, a sneak peek or a sneak taste, I guess, of what's coming. We're changing up the block size for that instead of being a 12 by 12 block. We gotta keep it fresh, gotta keep it interesting. So it's gonna be a 12 by 24 um, segment that people can create to go as part of our block of the month this year. So that should be kind of fun and interesting to see how people kind of take on you know these other uh, parameters for the challenge. And then I've also been teaching, I'm several weeks into teaching a beginner quilt class um, that we've started up again, just kind of local area at the museum. So we've got a full class, 15 people, um, some familiar with the museum, some familiar with quilting, some who've never ever done quilting ever before so we're start to finish just like we do our kids programs our kids camps and this one's for adults so they're learning all about quilting and getting excited to create their first pieces which is where a lot of you know where a lot of us start um, who get excited about it and I'm sure where a lot of these artists started of taking that first step into into the quilt world well um, I still I'm doing um, artistic quilts I've been presenting to uh, SACWA, so I did have one quilt last year in Houston that I was very lucky because in the show it got sold. So it's, I will not see it ever again. I'm very sad, but I'm very happy to get, you know, um, it's an honor to, to sell a show. Um, I got to uh, select it for um, Sacred Threads, and it got in the front cover of the catalog, my quilt. And right now, uh, Brewer Quilting and Supplies are going to be doing bags with one of my quilts. So I'm really, really thrilled. So everybody is going to be able to enjoy that one. So, so it's good. And just little by little, you know, getting back to normal and getting to create more quilts and enjoying <laughs> traveling. So that's going to be good, too. For those who like the shop, this was an emporium of possibilities. In fact, when we asked how the show was for them, many attendees said, expensive, with a big smile. Probably the shopping. <laughs> um, shopping and meeting friends that we only see online. I love seeing the quilts in the show. That's my favorite. And it's these very vendors, purveyors of all things quilting, that were one of the main attractions. So, So Creative Lounge, we are located in Mount Rainier, Maryland, right outside of D.C. I'm co-owner of it. Um, my partner, Tisha Thorne, uh, is the lead instructor of our uh, company, and I'm more like the business side, so the CEO. Um, so we are the culture keepers of sewing and quilting with the mission of teaching the world to sew one stitch at a time. And how do you do that? 
Uh, through our membership program, we have over 400 members around the country um, where they participate either in a sew-along or a quilt-along um, program. They get discounts to our uh, website. They get three virtual classes per month um, and just have a lots of fun just being a part of a community. Um, we also have children's classes in person. We have summer camp for kids, um, sewing, of course. Uh, we have a retail, physical retail store and a online store as well. So Holly and Knight started String and Story about seven years ago and it was originally in her home, quilting, uh, long arm quilting for people, making t-shirt quilts for people. Over the years, it's grown to where Holly Ann is a, a foremost educator in the free motion quilting community. We've been uh, actually really, really happy with the amount of visitors that have shown up to the show this year. Uh, it's been wonderful. Everybody's enjoying working with the Berninas here and having the opportunity to make something and take it home for free. And then we've allowed them to have this unique passport that gets them to walk the show and get some free fabric along the way. Moda, uh, we've been in business starting with United Notions since 1975. We just had our 45th year anniversary. Um, we supply kind of a whole range of fabrics from traditional to modern, if those boundaries exist anymore, um, to independent quilt shops around the world. Louise Duffy from Bernina of Georgia shared her excitement as well. Oh my gosh, I am so excited to be here. This is actually my first quilt con. So I've done a couple of other shows, but nothing, nothing like the energy here at QuiltCon. So we are very excited to be here. I work for Atlanta and Augusta Sewing Center. I, I manage the store in Duluth, and I'm also the events and marketing director for the organization, which means we have three stores. So we have one in Marietta, my store in Duluth, and then we have one in Augusta. And it is a delight to work with the um, Nick and Amanda Maven as a family. We work and support, okay, we're gonna back up there. So we have three stores that represent 25 families. So while we sell products that are international companies, we are a small town family-run business that supports 25 families. And we are very, very committed to our customers and making sure that we understand what they wanna make so we can provide them with the best tools and resources to make whatever that is the way they like it to be made. Karen Cooper summed up QuiltCon perfectly. It's just, it's a neat community like I have never met before. It's a family. It's very much a family. The days were full and long, the mood upbeat, inclusive, realistic, and hopeful. It was all about much more than quilting and sewing. It was about the interwoven stories of those who quilt and sew and the effects they have and will have on each other. It was about yesterday, today, and the promise of a better tomorrow. It was about community. And it's this community that makes sewing and quilting so very much more. This was QuiltCon 2023. Our thanks to all who took the time to share their stories with us. Stories about inspiration, excitement, activism, meeting old friends, and making new ones. QuiltCon 2023. If you know someone you think has an outstanding story, a story that should be shared on this podcast, please drop me a note to meg at soandsopodcast.com or complete the form on our website. Be sure to subscribe to, review, and rate this podcast on your favorite platform 
and visit our website, soandsopodcast.com for more information about today's and all of our guests. That's S-E-W-A-N-D-S-O podcast.com. And finally, I want to thank Bernina for making this program possible. I'm Meg Goodman, and I look forward to you joining us next time on So and So. So-and-so.